0: Live, hello Ryan. So great to see you. Hey, Callo, what's up? All good, all good. Thanks, thanks for doing this. I know you're moving and you have a little bit of a cold, right?
1: Yeah, just a a small touch of COVID that I'm recovering from, just about back to good. We're so back, you know, like you know, you're back when like COVID's coming back, (laughs) yeah, everything's coming back.
0: I had COVID a month ago, it was like really aggressive but I also got well in like two days, so it was my first time. I didn't have it before, so it's kind of surprising.
1: (laughs) This is my second rodeo with it, so first time was rough, second time was rough, but it takes me down for a few weeks, and then I bounce back.
0: Nice. Well, Ryan, so good to have you. I mean, you are a very prolific artist, generative artist. I'm really impressed with the quality of your work and how you have been, in a short amount of time, been able to produce so many high quality collections in different galleries, marketplaces, however you want to call them. I want to learn a a little bit about you and how you accomplish that because you are also a front-end developer. You are leading front-end from a, a company working in analytics, so that's also quite interesting. And let's start from there. Can you tell us a bit about your background? How did you got into crypto? How did you got into development? How did you start in, in in the tech space?
1: It's one of those things where people see like your most recent work. How did you do this so quickly? You just started on it a few months ago. But it's one of those things too, where like you've been going and going and going like these long, long, long work weeks for decades and decades on obscure random graphic experiments and just little hobbyist projects and then... Finally, with the way crypto has taken this kind of direction towards all these generative projects, now there's this platform that I can kind of release work on. So hmm. it's kind of like I've been chipping away at it and I have a lot of things that I've kind of put in various drawers and there's a lot of like half finished scaffolds here and there that now that there is this platform, this distribution channel of people who care about it, then it gives me kind of this ability to now start to publish things and start to revisit old chunks of various parts Mm -hmm. that i have that i can combine with new ideas and then just kind of get it out there relatively quickly but i think if you see like the full arc it's like wow this guy's been working on this forever (laughs) so it's kind of that both you know sides Mm -hmm. of the same coin
0: yeah no that i think that's the case for many many artists if you look at somebody like casey reese he has been working decades with uh, computers there are many more to, to name and then suddenly like the blockchain was the perfect fit for their work because it solves so many issues, distribution, of course, but also sure, it's like perfect for authentication. Just demand. Yeah, demand. Like just
1: the demand's great, that people care, you know, because for a long time, like you could have done it, but I don't know, like who would have seen it where now we do have the attention of the market mm-hmm. and those have been kind of working at it now can be seen, which is really yeah. cool.
0: Yeah, that's true. and And... Ryan, when did you start coding? Because you are also a front-end, uh, front-end developer, you're leading a team. We'll talk about that. But did you st- study computer science? You had an engineering background or or did you learn that later on? What's the story on your technical path?
1: I've been coding for a very long time. I think I got my first program written when I was maybe like seven or eight years old on uh, like like an old basic, I don't know, mm-hmm. 486 PC. And I was hooked. It was like the first program was into your name. If name equals my sister, then go to 10, get off the computer, go to 10, get off the computer. So I've always just felt that fascination and that drive toward app making, software engineering, entrepreneurial design, that kind of thing, since as far back as I can remember. And, but again, it's more and more of that. There's more of a spotlight on it. More people care now. There is that attention where back then it was kind of like this obscure nerdy thing that my brother did versus now it's like, oh, you're a developer, developers, developers, developers. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of cool again to have kind of been in the right place at the right time and to have had the right fascinations for kind of where the whole market and the world was moving. It set me up, I think, with a bit of an advantage, just as addictive as I were, addicted as I was to the technology back then. And just stayed um this entire time Mm -hmm. so just all of that has kind of put me in the right place in college i tried to take computer science um, but they wanted me to take all these prerequisites and i should have audited it and i probably could have but it was just like a lot of i I felt obscure things that i didn't really want to study and i kind of felt like if i could just take the test i could i could probably be like at least on like the third class or whatever because i've worked for companies doing the things you're teaching us Um Mm -hmm. but anyway, I ended up studying music composition in college just because it was an easier Mm -hmm. thing fewer hoops to jump through. So I played in, you know, the classical guitar ensemble, and then that got me in with radio and television music production. And then I followed that to doing work with Clear Channel. And then it was kind of funny because at the time I was going really deep into the arts, but kind of putting Mm -hmm. the technology kind of on the sidelines, kind of on hold, because I felt like I come from technology, but I don't come from the arts. That was my perspective as kind of this you know, I don't know, just computer nerd at the time. So anyway, getting in with radio and TV, again, the market moved to web. So in the beginning, as we were doing ads for different jingles and things like that, it started to become more and more doing websites and less and less radio jingles, less radio ads, less TV ads, more web ads and more social. So then that kind of got me early on The company I was working for, we were doing these radio things, but you could see the whole market is shifting to micro-targeting. It's shifting to social. And again, it was just kind of right place, right time to kind of follow my passions. And it just drove me into web development. And then from there, hooking up with Upshot, they were looking for people that could, you know, look at a Figma and then take that design and turn it into user interface components, think through, you know, various UX challenges. And I was just kind of the right guy at the right time.
0: Nice. Yeah, it's quite interesting because you come from an artistic background, actually, when you, when you think about it with music and TV and audio, and then it, you came back to kind of to move again back to tech, but then again yeah. <laughs> to the art. So it's kind of, you're going yeah. back and forth. I keep before. rediscovering
1: both a little bit, yeah, mm-hmm. and trying to find new ways to kind of combine them as they try to, their nature changes over time now it's AI. Mm. Technology is AI, where it wasn't two years ago.
0: That's right. Yeah. And you also have done works with AI. I've seen a couple of your experimentations. So yeah, it makes sense. You kind of keep moving depending on the technology. That's quite interesting. And Ryan, how is it? Because you have a full-time job.
1: I do. (laughs) Yeah. It's just everything just keeps moving and moving and moving. So I'm one of these kind of workaholic types Mm. where I can... Like, I don't feel comfortable unless I have at least a few things up in the air that I'm juggling. So definitely need that full-time job, just keeping kind of the lights on, the stability. But then at night, I'm always jamming on code, trying new experiments, Mm -hmm. balancing that equation.
0: And do you think there are some advantages? Like, you're coding for your job, of course, but then you come back to art, generative art. But you have to, at some point, disconnect from your art projects because you have to go back to your work stuff. And do you think that helps you in a way to, I don't know, disconnect a bit and get different ideas? Have you thought about that?
1: It's a lot of when I'm working on my own stuff, no one knows why. It's very obscure itches that you scratch of, I think this would be just interesting to see where this goes and I'll start working on it. And it's only later when you have a various task from your employer where you can go, Hey, I've explored the depths of that random like rabbit hole. You guys are wanting to kind of explore and I can kind of bring some insight, some wisdom from this random thing that I did that was kind of tangential to that.
0: Mm. Yeah. And the work with Opshot, I mean, you are working on design and, and front-end development. so. That's how I see it, and and, and maybe I'm wrong, but you are designing UI UX experiences and putting them together, building those. So in a way, there is a little bit of design and and kind of a creativity involved in there, right?
1: Yeah, I can't take full credit. We have like a great designer, Igor, who he comes up with, this is how this is going to look. It's going to take up two thirds of the space. This will collapse down to a, a 1D column on mobile. He thinks through a lot of these edge cases, and I kind of work with him. And then the rest of the team to figure out how do we actually get people using this? How do we smooth the edges? Because there's always rough edges in Web3, as I'm sure mm-hmm. you're aware.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, that makes so it's sense. So i just trying to
1: make that feel better for people than whatever I can contribute to that conversation.
0: Yeah. I guess in, in your job, um, it's different from your artistic, let's say, practice. Because in your job, you're working with different people. You're communicating. You're working together. Towards something like yeah. discussions. But when you work on your art, I, I think the other day we were chatting and you said you are mostly working alone. Is that the case? Yeah.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um I've only worked on a generative project with another individual one time and it, it was a total blast. But in general, yeah, it is just me, middle of the night, working mm-hmm. on some obscure problem. Versus like at my at work, it's a team, we have sprint planning, there's check-ins, there's linear task boards and various yeah. things you have to do to kind of keep everybody working together. That just isn't the case when you're able to work on kind of these art projects where you just kind of do whatever you want.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, I guess it's a place for experimentation and Yes, part of, and learning, yeah. It's yourself alone. Do you usually talk to other generative artists or is it usually yourself, um, like you get feedback do you ask for, hey, what do you think about this before releasing something or not really? You have like a close group of artists to, to chat about things?
1: I have the same, I'm sure, Discord list most people have of you'll pop in. It's a longer and longer list over time, but <laughs> just pop in FX Hash and Art Blogs and just various places and talk to the people who are collecting, who are creating. But then there's also a cool Slack group I was invited into from a bunch of the heavyweights and everybody just kind of goes a little more like kind of into kind of the, the challenges and kind of behind the scenes work there. And then I'm in the proof room and then there's like even like internal proof artist rooms. So I'm in kind of these various channels, but I do think a lot of it's even just like just bouncing things on Twitter. So yeah, definitely. I I love talking to other artists and just kind of bouncing things off of them. I try to be good about if someone does a killer drop, just send them a DM and just props.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think that's important. Getting the recognition right from other artists in the medium when you release something and they somebody DMs you, "Hey, that was a great, a great drop." When it comes from an artist, I, I feel I feel I'm not an artist, but I feel like that hits differently than when it's a yeah. uh, collector. Yeah, yeah. If you're not doing it
1: for the money, like that's why that's one of the reasons why you're doing it is just to kind of connect. So it's very cool.
0: Yeah, and then well, you mentioned. These different groups you are in, right? And that's because you are one of the, I mean, one of the unique artists that have been able to work with so many platforms and marketplaces and galleries. And I would like to to learn a bit about that journey. I think, if I'm not wrong, it all started on FX Hash. That's at least how I got to see your art for the first time. Yeah. So I mean, I think I had. I
1: definitely experimented before then, but I think at FXHash was when kind of my version 1.0 hit of like, I think I know the format that people are interested in from kind of like what Chromie Squiggles taught us of how you Mm -hmm. set up your traits, how you set up rarities, how you want to have different sub collections within a larger arcing vision. Where maybe before then, I was just like, here's a cool thing I made on, in Photoshop. Just blast that out to Rarible. But no mm-hmm. one's really that interested. Um, FX Hash was when I was really able to kind of put all the pieces together, think long form, get it packaged, make sure everything, all the T's were crossed and the I's were dotted, and then publish it. And that yeah. was kind of my first version 1.0 of my generative art as organized chaos. Yeah. So that was, yeah, a cool moment for me. Yeah. And and then, I didn't uh, think anything of it. I just kind of put it out there and then just kind of just went back to whatever else I was doing. And then only kind of through feedback and iteration, do you kind of close that loop of, okay, here's where I can go next.
0: Was there like a moment when things changed that you started to get more recognition or more visibility that you said you experienced that hype? And was there like a particular point in time that do you recall a particular collection maybe or some, a moment in time? Uh, when that happened? Yeah.
1: I think definitely for me, it was when I dropped uh, Fragments of a Wave. Mm -hmm. That one hit a little different than once I had done before, where for that one, it was still one of these things where I didn't really think anything of it. I didn't announce. There's no hype about a drop date. There's no preview images. I was just like messing around with it. Mm -hmm. And then I dropped it like middle of the night before I went to bed and then woke up the next day, tried to mint some and I couldn't because like people had already minted it out. So i was a little oh, annoyed like i can't even get my own work so then i just bought someone secondary and then i started getting tweets and various dms and then yeah. that just kind of blew up and then really fueled the addiction of wow now i gotta make more mm-hmm. again there's a platform there's a, a market for this where it's not as right. much fun to create without that
0: yeah it keeps you in a way motivated right because people are paying attention in a way and also yeah. you, you want to see what happens what's the it's like a, a bit of a, a drug, right? Uh, you, you want to see what yeah. happens, right? Like dopamine. You know, dopamine, yeah. Yes. And, and what do you think was special about Fragments? What do collector tell you in general? What did they tell you and other artists? What do you think was special about it? A lot of
1: people felt that it had this large variety, diversity within what they viewed as a single algorithm. Kind of behind the scenes, it's really a few algorithms that are just kind of randomly shuffled. There's kind of a large type, there's a small type, there's a medium type. And by having kind of those three kind of subtypes within the fragments, you get this really diverse looking landscape. And it was kind of when I had figured out ways to really kind of juice more outputs out of the permutations to where you really do get some like unique looking outputs. So that was kind of I think the big takeaway for me on fragments was that people crave mm-hmm. variety, and it's almost like a like you can feel the not necessarily the intent but you can feel kind of the passion you can feel the care that went into the project,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: that care kind of manifests as this variety, and people right. are kind of a little jaded against kind of these quick like that's kind of the whole critique of a i is oh, but you didn't you made it without having to put a ton of care into it, you did it so quickly where I think that variety was kind of a sign of there was a lot of care put into this.
0: It sounds like there was a lot of care into the architecture, let's call it, of the algorithms and how to produce this high amount of variety. And in a way that it still feels smooth. It feels like, wow, this this is crazy. There are so many different outputs, but it still belongs to one collection still. You can recognize that. Yeah. that's. yeah. Also, for me, was the first time when I saw your work was with fragments, and I think it's one of the top ten all-time collections on FX Half. It must be top twenty. So that's a uh, one thousand,
1: maybe. Yeah.
0: No, it's, it's,
1: <laughs> yeah. Very cool to see. Very cool to see.
0: Yeah. And then from there, Ryan, you kept working on a couple of more collections. I also remember a pocket. Is that the name, Sprocket Factory? Sp- Sp- Sp-
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, Sprocket Factory, yes. That was that was a fun one. That one's very obviously inspired by kind of the, the goats on Ethereum. Dimitri and Tyler mm-hmm. just really showing us how to do it. And then it was just kind of my spin on it. Often what I like to see is just kind of this over-the-top complexity of like once you kind of set up these rules and you kind of set up the system that it can kind of run itself, What's it look like when you just overdrive it and really just mm. overclock the thing until it's packing every crevice and okay. that was kind of like, what if you take ringers and Fidenza? They had like a love child, and that love child was just like yeah. a an insane person
0: yeah that's uh, very interesting and, and that also had a lot of the reception on that one was also crazy, crazy good, and I think from there, I mean you release it. One I also remember Dreamcatcher, Dreamcatcher Forest. Yeah. And then you had a, a drop with together with FX Hash for Arpaso, that's kind of a group yeah. show that was organized. How was that? How was that experience? Because it, it was the first time that you were invited to a show. Is that right? It was the first time?
1: Yeah, the first one was Dreamcatcher Forest. And that one yeah. was really yeah. A nightmare in terms of how much intensity I had to put into it to get it done for the deadline. So it was like, really like, all right, we need to do over a thousand outputs. And we love (laughs) how you're great at variety. So we expect you to have a lot of variety over a thousand editions, And we need this. And it was only two weeks. You know, it's something where like (laughs) it wasn't enough time to really do what I wanted to do. But I had kind of explored other things. So I was like, okay, I kind of have this um, nature drawing thing I've been playing with obviously inspired by Zancan. Again, there's other goats involved where you kind of like see these things that you can try to attempt. And then I had fragments. So I was like, okay, I can kind of use fragments as this kind of back scaffolding and then put something on top of it. And then I get something kind of new. So anyway, I get all that done. It actually works. I feel safe about the outputs that it's not going to do something too unexpected one out of a thousand Mm -hmm. times, which is a legitimate concern. I deliver that And then honestly, like three days later, they're like, hey, we actually have a bigger opportunity. This one's going to be with Herbert Frank. But again, we need it in like two weeks. It's going to be like a thousand outputs. What can you do? So then I had to really reach. And then I pulled out Microgravity. And that was based on, I was a huge fractal forums guy for years and years. And it was kind of just a bunch of experiments and sketches I had played with in kind of the fractal space, but I had never figured out how do you do fractals generatively? Meaning if I just pick a random X, Y coordinate, one out of a thousand times, it might be a totally black image or one out of a hundred times. It might be a totally white image. How do I control? We need a thousand out of a thousand fractals. So then it kind of got me into this idea of using the computer to detect its own aesthetics. So I would create all these random ones and then try to read. If you compress this, does it compress down to zero? If so, it's a solid color. If it takes a lot of data to compress it, then it's obviously a very high entropy image. And -hmm. then you can kind of start to curate things without really knowing what you're doing. Like I don't have a mathematical proof that lets me generate aesthetic fractals, but I can generate a sample of fractals and then sample those for which ones are likely of being interesting. So it's kind of, as you're going along, you're developing your own tools, Yeah, but it's uh, always just one interesting problem after the next that has to be solved
0: yeah and for you ryan is that part of the what you enjoy you enjoy like coming up with these uh complex algorithms and solving these problems that you create is that something that you are you passionate about that because i mean it must be very complicated especially with those deadlines that you mentioned that like two weeks yeah so
1: I mean, it's probably it's- working out like um do you enjoy the feeling of the resistance and it's like admittedly like hard problems are hard but I do find that kind of I'm compelled to work on them. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, like I do love working on kind of one interesting problem to the next. But when you're in it, it very much feels like a difficult problem.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's uh, very exciting. I, I remember those days because I was on FXHash and they announced there are collaborations. And then I noticed that you were on multiple. you we were on both of, of those collaborations. So I said, wow, how, how can Ryan create? Um, these uh, again high quality collections in such a short period of time and they are very different from each other so that was i mean super yeah. impressive yeah and i definitely had
1: some codes that i had been playing with for years and years and years yeah. but it had never really seen the light because again it was kind of like well who are you, you going to show these fractals to and yeah. then it was like ah this is the perfect spot where if i just find a way to curate the output to control it then I can really use this as like an engine for different things. And it yeah. was cool. So then again, okay, let's say you solve that. Now the problem was that it took way too long to generate a fractal. So then I had to explore, mm-hmm. can I use web workers to do this in parallel such that it draws something like a, a row of 10 pixels at a time? But it's just, it's more and more things you have to kind of solve the deeper you get. That's kind of fun.
0: Yeah. Exactly, like the optimization problem and the speed and and the rendering yes. that is actually optimized. Yeah, it doesn't break. People care. Phone. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like no, even that's...
1: if it just makes the image, people still care about how long did it take to make the image, which is kind of funny, and it's not there with traditional art. Yeah,
0: and and what about your code? Are you, are you somebody that? pays a lot of attention to like the syntax and the the order of the code and all these best practices that exist when you are a coder or you don't care that much because I've seen artists that are on both, both sides. I feel like, no, my code is like my studio is a mess and others are very methodical, right? What are you in that spectrum?
1: I definitely like appreciate clean, beautiful code. And I can appreciate it well enough to know that I don't write it. (laughs) Like (laughs) I know what my code looks like and I know what the bar looks like. I know kind of like a finger pointing at the moon, kind of like what the aspirational code looks like. But I write a lot of spaghetti. Cool thing is now with more and more of these kind of GPT-4 like tools, Mm -hmm. I can throw spaghetti and it'll kind of turn it into pasta, which is kind of cool. Mm -hmm. But yeah, Mm -hmm. I love, like I said, that kind of really functional beautiful code that, you know, the code itself can be the work.
0: Mm-hmm. And for you, you mentioned the AI assisted, like these new tools. Are you are you using these tools? Because I've seen Copilot, which is seems to be very helpful, but also like to come up with new things. I, yeah. I used ChatGPT for that as well. How are you like introducing these tools into your artist practice? It's cool because it's really like, I want to
1: say overnight, it's one of those things where AI has been going forever, but then now we just hit the elbow in the curve where now it's really like it works where before (laughs) you can kind of try to convince people that it could work in the future. And now it's like, well, if you don't do it, you're at a competitive disadvantage to the people who are using it. So like my latest, I don't know if it's the latest, it was like two ago, but ephemeral tides. On that one, I wanted to do a really efficient, again, it's kind of like just dialing up the the volume to 11, of how do we pack these lines within a flow field that are so tight that there's maybe a pixel between them, but I really just need that done quickly because there's a whole bunch of other layering that goes on, and that's just kind of like a foundation before we do the fun stuff. So anyway, that algorithm for my brain is too complicated. It was like, it's a quad tree. You have these different optimization problems where you're kind of doing these different kind of marches to find collisions. And it was just too hard. So I was able to paste like a white paper straight into ChatGPT and then say, you know, Mm. this is kind of what I find inspiring. This is where I am. Can you kind of bridge these two gaps? You know, go, okay, sure. And then it'll provide you with something and then you run that and you're like, okay, that doesn't work. But I kind of like what you're doing. That actually looked really cool. I'm going to call that almost packing and then try again. So then at the end of it, I got a perfect optimized quad tree performance shape packing algorithm. But then I also got this messed up one that it tried to do, but didn't do well. And with that one, things would kind of like overflow the edges just a little bit. And it looked really cool. So then I ended up keeping both where Mm -hmm. it was kind of like a true collaboration of my intent, its interpretation of my intent, and then kind of. It's, you know, optimized version of what I wanted and kind of its sub optimized version. It's really cool just working with this and you can kind of start to see like this is more and more kind of how I, I want to work.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, you because that that's open for to everyone. But the trick is how to collaborate with it and then take these small pieces, as you said, like you really like and being capable to introduce that to your code. And I mean, you can, you can debug with it and it's really, really good. But at the same time, you can, you can hit a wall. If you are not really experienced, it can get out of control Sure, package it. So you still need the, you know, that ability to incorporate certain details, right? From these uh, tools into your work. Yeah. It's like more and more, you kind of have to have that
1: you're curating its outputs or Mm -hmm. you're having the taste. Of you're the tastemaker of all these different possible things that it could do, thousands and thousands of different directions you can go, and then those branch out. But which one do you select is more and more, I think, becoming the role of the, the co pilot with the AI. But it's like at first it was your co pilot, and now you're maybe its co pilot, you know? <laughs> Yeah,
0: that <laughs> makes sense. And also for your for your work as a developer, you're also incorporating it, right? And other developers as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's the story of kind of all industries right now. It's just more and more, we're having to use AI to stay competitive, I think. Yeah, yeah.
0: No, that makes sense. And Ryan, we talked a bit about Hash. You mentioned Ephemeral Tides, which you released with Proof. That was a Diamond exhibition. So you also have work, I mean, you released hyperdrive with art blocks and that was really cool because yeah. you did like a and b side yeah that was, a, ton of was a bit about that
1: yeah that was my first art blocks release so as a generative artist that is kind of the the store you want to get in if you're gonna sell generative art and it took i think fx hash to kind of work the craft and then kind of figure out you know what the package looks like and then at Artblocks, I was able to kind of put that out there and go, "Hey, check it out! Here's a, yeah. here's my first Artblocks project."
0: Yeah, no, that's amazing. How does it feel? Like, do you? Because I talk to many generative artists, and many of them want to they want to release on Artblocks. Is that something that you were working on for a long time, or it was just another like one more of your projects? What's your vision like when you look at Artblocks? When you look at these different platforms, how did you see them in
1: general? It was a cool project in that it was a very simple idea that kind of draws back to something I often like to do when I'm sketching my own things or just kind of deep in the weeds is I'm looking for something kind of like a cellular automata or just something that's almost intrinsic to computer science itself. Like it's Mm -hmm. kind of in its own language. It doesn't exist. It's not copying nature. It's not copying things from mathematics. It's a cellular automata in a style of cellular automata. So I kind of liked for this one on Artbox, I had this idea of what if you draw a box and then we take a picture of the box and then we put the picture in the box. And that's the whole algorithm of how this thing creates recursion. So then playing with that a little bit more, I was able to get all the, the variation out of it. But that distilled idea was just so simple and just so I thought elegant at the time, but then it's kind of funny because working with art blocks is much different than working with FX hash so with FX hash, there is no handholding there is I mean maybe now I'm sure now maybe you can get your handheld if you want it, but when it first came out, you're on your own. you just kind of log into the back end and you're like, what are all these settings what are All these different configuration options and then you kind of just publish on your own and then it's out there to the world versus for art blocks someone sets you up in a room and they're like okay we're going to set up your project i want you to click the first field and then type your description so it is that really kind of white glove experience there like exactly which is nice Mm
0: -hmm. yeah
1: just very different vibe and then you write your description you go okay here's my description to go your description's (laughs) not that great
0: we'd like you to write
1: another one which is kind of like on FX hash, you just do whatever you want. Like I could do all emojis, I could do whatever I want. But on Artblocks, there's a curator of, this is what our Artblocks descriptions look like consistently across all artists. It's Like, okay, Mm -hmm. and then, you know, there's a review board and the review board will determine if you're worthy of being curated. And if you're curated, you know, you'll get all these more, you know, kind of distribution channels and, you know, different Mm cloud that comes with being curated. But it was kind of interesting in that, like you're not curated, your work comes out and it's received and reviewed but like day one you know it's like let me see your sketches all right not curated
0: okay so, <laughs> so it's that was very kind of like of, a little harsher very early in the process you get at the dece- i mean you can either get rejected right or you can go through the presents or curate yeah right? That's, those are the three avenues yeah
1: I mean, you get a nice little like uh, one or two page back about here's why we decided not to curate. You know, your art's okay. kind of blurry. We don't get the blur. You know, it's kind of kind of dense. We don't get the density.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: But was, yeah, just different, which is cool, though, because I mean, it does create, you know, there is someone who thinks about everything that's curated on art versus on FX hash. It's, it's up to the community to try to figure that out. And it takes them a while to figure it out.
0: Yeah, I mean there are pros and cons. I think for everybody, for collectors and also for artists on both platforms, right? <laughs> on FX has what you experience, right? With your early early connections, you were you know capable of test things and suddenly get all this exposure, right, out there, and and you and you kind of got confident in what you were doing, and you can do it as you said whenever you wanted. If you want to drop tomorrow, you can do it. On the other yeah. side, on our blogs, you kind of don't have yes. that that opportunity no. but
1: no they're like this you... is your day and yeah. before your day we want you to do test net you know so like on yeah. fx ash like no test net just straight to prod yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah yeah but at the same time that guide on our blogs is kind of cool right because you you feel oh, yeah. like it's not all on you right that you get the support and of course totally. there are it takes a lot of time right to get this the, the, the mint day right the release day. yeah but it's uh a lot of perseverance. Yeah. Like, keep, keep uh, Yeah, One
1: is not, one's not necessarily better than the other, like the two yeah. methodologies, but it's great to have that landscape of, you know, these are kind of the different ways mm-hmm. the art's getting published.
0: No, that's exciting. And Brian, I wanted to ask you because you, you have, you're also aware on verse. We, we also collaborated for the blind gallery. You had a very nice uh, release with the view, which also you turned it into a collection on FX hash. So, you have done. You have worked with many, many, many. That, uh, again, let's call them galleries, marketplaces, um, and there are many more, right? The, we see more options um, coming up. We also see more galleries which are doing more curation. So, you have seen all this space. You worked there very early in the in the in terms of the generative art space. So, how do you feel right now, like? as an artist, where is your mind at? Uh, Are you you looking for um, a specific uh, platform? Are you focusing on one blockchain or are you still open to uh, anything? Is it it hard to keep track of everything? Because uh, again, there are many, many options out there. So where is your mind at? Where is your mind at in terms of the possibilities for an artist, for a generative artist? I mean, to some extent,
1: as we kind of reach this kind of multi-chain environment, there's a little bit of a dilution of attention, meaning like before Ethereum was NFTs and you had all of the attention on like Open OpenSea um, versus now there's Ordinals, you know, or there's whatever's going on on Solana. You know, it's kind of becoming more fractionalized across all the different places. And so I'm paying attention to more places. So it's just more and more you have to kind of keep up with. And more options you have to kind of prioritize of, you know, if I'm going to do, you know, a new music-based NFT, where would that go? So mm-hmm. it's different things that I'd like to explore within the medium itself, but then also different things I'm excited about in terms of just the distribution channels. Like for me, one of the most interesting ones right now is what props is doing, the mm-hmm. emergent properties from these kind of, yeah. what are they, stable diffusion-based for now, but mm-hmm. it's, it's open enough that it could be other generative models. So the idea is basically like how do you take something like pure generative art where the image is only from the explicit code you gave it and then how do you give just a little bit more control to AI? you know so maybe I would before just draw a circle where now I can say it is a circle in this exact position, but we're gonna do image to image translation to you know animal faces or whatever you know and then I can run that through a, like a diffusion model. And then it really starts to take generative art into this AI frontier, which is exciting. Yeah,
0: Yeah, no, that's a great use case that you mentioned. And I always thought, I mean, for those that are not familiar, right, with them props it's basically a long form. So you can release a long collection, so a collection with 100, 200, 300 pieces, and they come out of a stable diffusion. So you as an artist... What you control at this stage, I believe it's the prompts, right? And you get access to a studio. Sort of. Or...
1: Yeah, you get the prompting, but you can also run P5 code under it. So you have oh. the prompting. And what's really cool is the prompting has variables in it, and the variables are probabilistic. So I can say, you know, draw a 4K, you know, sketch of a, you know, dollar sign, you know, animal. And then dollar sign animal could be 20% dogs, 80% cats. Mm-hmm. And then we get kind of these rarity levels within prompting. But okay. then you can also do that kind of image to image uh, diffusion. I don't know what it's called of being able to take your P5 code as the suggestion or as like some kind of loss function mm-hmm. that ties into that kind of prompting to where you do get kind of these controllable AI generations. And then you can control like, what's the strength of that knob? You know, is it 90% going by the prompt or is it 90% going by my P5 code? And okay. then sometimes you find a balance there, but it, yeah. they put a lot of really interesting ideas into it, but you can also tell like they were quick to publish, which is cool too. So you can tell like, it's going to be a fast moving experimental kind of yeah. FX hash fives.
0: Yes. And, and they started on Tesla's, they released a couple of collections, like curated collection with a specific artist. And now they are going to release on Ethereum. And they have an interesting way of, it's like they have this artist studio and it's like a subscription. Which is pretty interesting because, you know, artists at the end of the day are benefiting, they are monetizing the art. And what they did is they they charge a subscription to artists, right? To access the studio and they then work on their art, which is very it's, different from everything we have seen. And I think that was a smart, and yeah, that's, and props. I, I didn't know about the coding, that it was already so yeah. advanced on the coding side. That's interesting, yeah.
1: Yeah, I thought even just having the variables inside the prompt was just something I hadn't really seen before that was just cool. It's like obvious once you see it, but before yeah. then I hadn't really thought about it.
0: Yeah, and, and that can evolve even more. I was thinking that maybe. So I was, I was, I had Ivona Tau Tao was in the podcast, you know. And she has released so many AI collections, and she is a machine learning uh, researcher. Oh yeah, she's great. So she, yeah, and she, she creates her own models. And she was thinking, uh, she was mentioning how she takes the photographs and she curates her own photographs, and that's the input to the to the algorithm. Right. And then she has different neural networks. So I always thought like, okay, so props can actually do something like that, where you can actually input um, the, the photographs in that case, so you can curate the input that uh, you take, and you can have some control over the models, right? Like the neural networks, yeah. how they behave. You can train them there. Of course, it's not easy, right? Right now they are using stable no. diffusion, and but it could eventually become something like that. We'll see, but... Uh, I see both fields merging, like generative coded art and generative AI art feels like they could converge into one. Maybe. I don't know.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's ultimately just making it easier for people to create kind of in that space Mm -hmm. where, you know, before, I mean, I'm talking like a year ago, you had to probably be really good at coding and really good at Photoshop, where now it's just, just tell the computer what you want and it'll do it. And then it's just getting better at doing that.
0: Right. Yeah, the tools are getting much more sophisticated. Yeah. Um, That's interesting.
1: Yeah, I've read. It's almost like it has to become more sophisticated to make it easier for people. You know, like we just didn't have the compute before for it to be this easy, which is kind of cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Very interesting. I didn't expect to talk about them props, but you're right. Like now it's, it's they are doing a great job. Yeah. even the tokenomics
1: are pretty interesting like i think they're doing there's a couple member tokens that are closed like there's only a hundred editions and if you hold one of those you'll get um, lifetime access i think to the studio which Mm -hmm. is an attempt to kind of provide utility to what otherwise would just be the earliest experiments which is like a cool Um... idea of like if you support our earliest experiments you will get utility you know in the right spots which is
0: cool idea nice yeah, it's like a lifetime membership, right? And, and it also shows that you were there from the beginning, right? Like you were right, a supporter. Yeah.
1: Lisa yeah. Orth was there.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Saw, know, she did the,
1: yeah. She did the old, the original like, Nirvana logo. Yeah. And then, you know, she's right here on a membership token.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, exciting, exciting stuff. And Ryan, what would you do if you were starting today, right? If you were an emerging artist and with all these options, all these blockchains, marketplaces, galleries, technology, right? AI, pure AI, generative art, and you're a creative person, let's say somebody that's new to the space. What would you tell them? Like, where should they focus on? How will they start? What will be your first step um, in this space today? Just having
1: watched the way social kind of grew up, I I see this analogy of the early mover advantage of if you're on these networks early, then you're able to kind of build up your network for the people that are coming after you. And it really does give you that advantage. Now, the downside is you never know which of these platforms is going to take off. You know, is it going to be Twitter or is it going to be, you know, whatever else? So I think now is that time of seeing these new platforms come online. And it is kind of up to these artists, I think, to get in there and start creating compelling works kind of ahead of other people. So that would kind of be my advice is it pays to be early and it pays to put out quality early if you can.
0: So it's like try to make a solid guess from what you are seeing into what could be a lasting, a lasting technology and, and then focus on that, on that platform, release high quality work right. on that platform. Right. Yeah.
1: If you wait for validation, you might've waited too long, you know, cause mm-hmm. then somebody else already captured that early mover advantage and they've already kind of beat you to a lot of kind of the bounty there.
0: Yeah, exactly. And we mentioned then props, any other, any other thing you are interested or like Excited about Ryan these days like in terms of emerging platforms technologies blockchains where, where is your mind at in terms of that in innovations I mean it just
1: feels like it just keeps getting it just keeps accelerating you know the, the elbow and the curve just keeps becoming more vertical so more and more just kind of curious and interested in how to how to use LLMs and LMs and just various strong AI Tools mm-hmm. that are just dropping, like it feels like every week you get a new tool, like uh, yeah. Grok. What, what does Grok come out like next week or something like that? That's supposed to be yeah. like the latest uh-huh. like GPT 4 Plus. You know, it's yes. GPT 4 with vibes, which yeah. be cool
0: <laughs> with vibes. Yeah, that's the one from Elon from X. They are releasing, yeah, is it Grok Grok with G Grok? Something yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And it's something yeah, crazy that's... too. Like they only trained it for two months and it's already, you know, it's gonna be great, right? But yeah. yeah.
0: We had Clown Vamp, which is, well, he's very, very a popular collector. He was in the podcast, but he's an artist as well. He's focusing a lot on AI and he had some crazy ideas on the, on the future of the medium. He was thinking about how AI will let you create these sort of experiences. He's already doing a lot of storytelling with AI, but the next, yeah. like the next level and. The, the, what's coming is more like experiences, stories like movies and films and this yeah. whole the, the spectrum of, you know, creation. Have you it's- seen
1: like the generative South Parks where you just kind of throw a couple prompts at it and it'll give you a whole uh, episode?
0: No. no, no, no. It's amazing. Uh,
1: so like it has <laughs> like an internal model of Cartman. It has an internal model of, you know, stand in common, you know, story arcs. And then okay. you just kind of tell it what you want to see and it's able to animate the wow. characters and give you a whole episode on demand. Which kind of well, gives you a glimpse of you know, where things are going with music. If I can say, you know, give me a Kanye cover of this Taylor Swift song. And it's just yeah. fire.
0: Yeah, and, and even like films. Like you can tell the AI to create a storyline. Then you, as, as, you, know, you, you intervene a bit and you edit it. And then it, can, it will come to a point with the, where the graphics will be You know as good as they are in in the best movies today so we could see you don't need actors that to be honest you don't you can create voices you can create crazy worlds so it will be like a one person movie it it will be like possible so um yeah it's it's good no i have no idea where
1: it's going but i'm just super excited to to be in it yeah like there's just so many new possibilities that it's kind of opening and simplifying Like, as a musician, like something that I've always struggled with is how do you, like, once you have your music on the page, how do you really produce it and EQ it and master it and make it sound like a record? And my ears have never been great at that. You know, I just tend to make it louder and louder and louder until finally everything's (laughs) so loud. But with AI now, there's some great tools where you can just say, analyze, you know, this album and do what they did to mine. And then it'll just re EQ everything and then just allow you to kind of be on that same platform as the people, you know, who have the maybe more equipment. experience or, yeah. yeah, exactly. More equipment just, it lets you kind of get on that equal playing field. So it's kind of like a an equalizer. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then the, the, the problem, like what many people are against is the stealing from others. And, and when it comes to music yep. from yep. singers a and, problem. and the yeah. voice and, it's yep. tricky. It's very tricky. And then you get into the issue of rights, right? Like copyrights. Totally. Yeah. How how, how will people control that? It's very, very tricky, right? So yeah, it will be, will be challenging. We'll see. I, I've seen many, you know, Post Malone, <laughs> the the popular popular singer, he was saying, I, I got like one year, one more year, then AI will take over will take over my job, you know? So he's like, this yeah. might be my last album. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's. I see
1: that, like, it's making things, like, technically easier. But at the same time, I feel like when you collect art, you're often collecting from an individual. And you're yeah. buying into their story, but not necessarily that, you know, that, that technical. Like, when you buy, like, Nike shoes, you know, you don't care about, like, well, these have, you know, the greatest souls compared to Reebok shoes. You know, I want the Nikes. You know, they <laughs> have the Nike brand. So it really, I think, starts to play more into brand and then just the Mm. artist, but more and more people have the tools to, if they want to create something in the style of, you know, say Nike in that instance, anyone can put out a Nike looking shoe, but like only Nike is Nike, which ties in beautifully to blockchain and like verifiable reputation, Mm. you know, that whole provenance.
0: Right. Yeah. I went to, you know, guarantee this came from Brian because this is his wallet. Signed yeah, it's next anyone to can do other. work
1: that looks like people, but we collect people.
0: You know, yes, yeah. it's, it's a huge yeah.
1: difference, and I think a lot of people confuse that. Of like, well, anyone can create something that looks like X, you know, except you
0: know X is made by X, and people care about that. Yeah, that's totally makes sense. And in terms of uh, physical physical exhibitions, because you know, in the generative art space, many many artists have been showcased. By institutions, or or now we we got the big news that Pratik, you know, um, well he had a a long exhibition at the MoMA and oh yeah, beautiful, that beautiful. It's uh, it's great because it's now it's AI. at the Sphere, yeah, at the Sphere, yeah. What I think is great is it's AI but also an NFT, so it validates kind of both both mediums, right? So that's, that's a good great point, yeah for the space. And but for you, Ryan, do you look at these? Is your goal to at some point be on a museum or in a in a great um, exhibition This from the traditional, more from the traditional art world, or you're somebody that is, you care more about the digital space and the digital culture? What is it, what are you looking for in that, in those terms? Or you haven't thought about that yet.
1: <laughs> it's probably, I would imagine for artists coming from the two respective worlds, what's exciting is crossing over. So for me coming from digital, traditional looks exciting. And I'm sure for traditional people, maybe digital looks exciting. But it is cool more and more as that kind of merges where you see huge projectors in a traditional space and it's playing kind of this digital work mm-hmm. outside of it. Or what you can do with plotters, where you like maven's wizard at that, where you kind in Zancan, where you have kind of mm-hmm. these pure digital worlds that kind of escape into the physical and then we can kind of celebrate them on kind of the big traditional canvas. For yeah. me, that's super exciting. And I would love to kind of explore that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Where I kind of the feel physical. like I kind of get the digital by default.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like a new exploration for you. It's like, okay, this is something new, producing physical work. Digital, I mean, it's it's like a combination of both, but it's different, yeah. And what are your thoughts yeah. on prints? On prints against plotters? Do you have any, is, do you like like one more than the other or? You're fine with both.
1: Fine with both. Plotters are so cool, though. <laughs> yeah. Like, plotter really does feel like, like a hand-drawn, hand-painted, you know, everyone is going to be slightly different. Just because, like, the machines aren't, they're not perfect. Yeah. So often, like, you're running out of ink midway through the plot, or, you know, it did this weird pooling on this one part that it was trying to sketch, where you do kind of get those imperfections where every edition 105 will look different than another edition 105, which is kind of cool. So I love that idea and that aesthetic of kind of those imperfections making it just feel a little more organic.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and also it's a great way to show uh digital art in a way, right? Because then you can explain, yeah, well, there was code behind this piece, and then that usually you know attracts people to computer computer art in a way. But it's physical, you can hang it on a wall, and and you can show it to your friends. So it's a good way to, you know, bridge, I think, bridge both worlds. Yeah, Um,
1: And really good, like really top tier plotter art is really hard to make, where it does have that kind of selection of like, okay, first you have to be, you know, you have to be a great artist, you also have to be a great coder, and then you have to solve all the problems of kind of combining those and working with a plotter. Where, you yeah. know, it's just a handful of people that have really like pulled it off at like museum quality. And I think that's going to be a barrier for a long time, you know, for collectors looking for things that obviously took a lot of care to produce. I feel mm-hmm. like generative plotter art is one of like the hardest aesthetic, you know, computer science art forms you can kind of put out there.
0: Yeah. And, and especially like big Big plotters, right? Because you need the special machines. I I saw San Ken, time. Yeah, I saw Sankan exhibition in in New York City. Um, it was amazing. They had this. I think it was what was the name. It was Art Matter. I, I think it was Art Matter. They had these huge machines. It was very impressive. And during the exhibition, it was working, right? So it was working. Yeah. It was kind of on default mode, doing a plot, a plot, and yeah, it was fantastic yeah but yeah you you're right there is like a small barrier there to create this kind of art um uh, which makes it interesting right for those that actually make it and are capable of you know conquering that ryan we are we have been chatting for almost an hour i know you you have a called and and I just yeah. have one last question um and I usually ask to all guests, who are your inspirations like top three inspirations or top three emerging artists or rising artists or established artists. So t- t- three names that inspire you.
1: I think, I mean, as I mentioned, Zancan in the plotter space is such a good name to know and such a, a great body of works to kind of explore and just kind of see what's possible. And like I said, that's, for me, that's some of the hardest work to produce. So definitely Zancan, William Mapen. His stuff just, it has that, you know, his stuff is in his own style and just done at the highest level. So love his work. And I think Zach Lieberman is also mm-hmm. equally inspiring to the others that I've mentioned. His yeah. stuff is just, again, it's very much in his own style and very, you know, he takes it so much farther than, you know, it looks maybe at first.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Zach has been doing it for, for a while as well. He has these daily routine right where he shares works and works every day so yes yeah.
1: uh, and you just see you see kind of the gears you know just kind of iterating and getting deeper and deeper into whatever the essence of you know that first sketch is it's cool to watch it all develop fine. like he's been doing this one where it's just kind of these little noodles that kind of float up but i swear i've been seeing like variations on that noodle for like three months so it's like <laughs> wow that's really cool then another one's like oh dang that's even better
0: and then you yeah. just keep watching he's really working it yeah he's iterating iterating over it that's yeah fantastic yeah yeah so th- those were amazing names, some of the top the best generative I don't know if the word is best, but some of the most talented yeah right? uh, generative yeah, artists. maybe these are
1: the maybe these are like two of the easy, obvious three, but these are yeah definitely guys I find super inspiring
0: yeah awesome, Ryan, thanks so much. this was very interesting and Thanks for sharing all your story and yeah. Hope you get better. Hope you get better soon. Thank you. And hope we can chat in the future to see where we are. Yep, this AI. super fun. <laughs> oh no. Yeah, we'll see. All right. Thanks. Bye, bye, Ryan. Take yep. care. Later.